You are listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray that this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God, and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, this should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement, the pastor God has put over your life, or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. Jesus to the folks on the hillside says this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Now, I want you to think back to when you guys were younger. I want... I wonder, do you remember what it was like or what you asked for when your birthday came around or when Christmas came around? Try, try to think back. What was something that you would deem a good gift? Maybe some of you, if you're, if you're old enough, you might say, man, I really wanted an American Girl doll. Anybody wanted one of those when they were younger? A few of you ladies, a couple of you guys. Others of us wanted uh, the, the latest entertainment system, right? Remember Sega Genesis? Right? Or if you're like me and my brother, what we wanted was an ATV, an all-terrain vehicle, a four-wheeler, right? My brother and I, we would watch shows about ATVs. We would beg our parents, plead with our parents every birthday, every Christmas, because we thought this could be the greatest gift they can ever give us. At even so much, we told our parents one time for Christmas, we said, get all of the money that you think you will spend for us on our next 10 birthdays and next 10 Christmases, put it all together to buy us both ATVs, and we promise we'll never ask you for anything again. Because that's what we thought a good gift was. We were persistent. Right? If the four-wheeler was the content of our asking, persistence, eagerness, was the posture of our asking. And this is what Jesus focuses on this morning. See, if the Lord's prayer contained the content of what we're supposed to ask for, this next section contains the posture of how we are supposed to ask. Remember, it's not just that Jesus wants to modify our behavior as if that will get us into the kingdom of God, right? Outward actions. No, Jesus is after heart transformation. He is concerned with what we ask. That's why he taught us how to pray. But he's just as concerned with how we ask. 
are we childlike? Do we have this childlike persistence? Some might even say annoyance of asking for these things. This is what Jesus is after. He wants to persistently ask for good gifts. Why? Because we have a good father. He wants you to know that you can consistently and urgently ask for good gifts because of the character of our father. He's good. And he's going to show us this in two ways. That we can first, if you have your notes with you, a childlike persistence. We can have a childlike persistence. That's our first point. Because second, we have a good and caring parent. We have childlike persistence because second point, we have a caring and good parent. Y'all ready to dive in? First point, childlike persistence. Look with me in Matthew 7, verses 7 through 8. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What we see here in this passage, if we pull that back up on the screen, we see three double promises. It's almost as if they are ascending a scale of urgency. Don't just ask. I want you to seek. And don't just seek. I want you to knock. I want you to pound on the door. And, when, and then Jesus, what he does, he says, I promise you. He promises six separate times that if you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will find. And if you knock, it will be, not might, not maybe, not if the Father's in a good mood or not, but it will be open to you. And so it might get some of you to start wondering, what, what is it should I be persistently and consistently asking for? Well, a good place to begin is where we ended last week. Right? We don't want to read this passage in a nice little zip light, ziplock baggie, right? As if it exists outside of the Sermon on the Mount. So what is a good thing to ask for? Maybe we can start asking that we would rightly judge others without wrongly being judgmental. Maybe we should seek to be helpful towards our brothers and sisters' sanctification rather than being hypocritical with our own sanctification. Maybe we should start asking, seeking, and knocking that God would rip the redwood log out of our eye so that we can see clearly to help others with that tiny piece of sawdust in their eye. Or maybe we should be asking for other things. I mean, how many of you, do you want to know how to love others better? Not just love those who love you well, but to love those who hate you and persecute you. Do you want to know how to do that? Ask. Matthew 5.44. Do you want to not just know that you're known by the Father, but feel known by the Father? Jesus says, pray. Matthew 6.6. 6. Do you want God to provide for you what you cannot provide for yourself daily? Jesus says, seek. In Matthew 6, 8, and 11. 
Do you want God's name to be made famous over your name? Do you want his kingdom to come? He says, knock, and it will be open, Matthew 6, 9. Let me ask you this morning, do you need divine aid in doing the will of your Father? Are you in need of it? Seek, Matthew 6.10. Do you need help in forgiving others? Do you need forgiven? Ask, Matthew 6.12. Maybe this one will resonate. Do you need help? Do you need rescued from not giving into the same temptation that you fall into over and again? Jesus says, knock, Matthew 6, 11, and a way of escape will be open to you. Anyone there this morning need help with any of those things I just mentioned? He wants us to do this because he knows we are unable, we are unable to do it ourselves. He wants us to be persistent because this is the posture of a child who knows that they're loved by their father in heaven. I mean, do you, do you, remember, do you remember the parable of the persistent widow in, in the book of Luke? There's this persistent widow and an evil judge who did not respect others and he did not fear God. And what did the widow do? What, what was the only thing that she was, was doing? She was asking. She was seeking. What else was she doing? Help me out. She was knocking, pounding on this judge's door. She's saying, give me justice because I cannot provide it for myself. And look how Jesus finishes the parable here in Luke 18. He says, for a while he was unwilling. That is the judge. But later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God, this is the, the unjust judge speaking, even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. And what Jesus says is that our God, the judge, the just judge, will give to us swiftly what this evil judge delayed in giving. Do you see what Jesus is saying? Is that the Father loves to give you quickly what he values the most, justice. God loves granting you what he has promised. God loves hearing from his children. Not to get you off his back like this evil judge but because he delights in hearing from you. Now, I wonder if we think back to those birthdays and the Christmases, as you got older, what was your asking like? What was your seeking like? What was your knocking on mom and dad's bedroom door telling them what you wanted for Christmas? What happened as you got older into your college years? What do we do? We stop asking. I mean, it would be a little bit weird if maybe you found your, your roommate in your dorm room still addressing a letter to the North Pole with a wish list in it that said, P.S., say hi to Comet for me. It would be a little weird. 
Sadly, that's our posture as we grow older with God. So when we first came and had that childlike faith, we would talk to him and ask him and seek him for everything. But now, we rarely talk to him. Now, it's as if we don't need him. We, in our self-sufficient ways, we think that we are the ones who give to ourselves. We are the ones who find ourselves. We are the ones who open our own doors. Aren't we? We stop asking as if we're not in need. We, including me, and don't you talk to yourself about your problems more than you talk to God about your problems? Is it just me? And who, who do you go to first? Others who are just like you to find solutions for your problems? Or to your Father in heaven? And we are strangely reluctant to talk to our Father in heaven, aren't we? But Jesus is swinging open the door wide right now. He's showing you that on the other side of this door are promises waiting to be fulfilled by your Father if you would just simply ask. If you would simply come. Not come all cleaned up, but come just as you are because that's how the Father delights in hearing from you. He loves it when you ask. He loves when you seek him out. He loves it when you wake him up in the middle of the night to talk to him. How do we know this? It's because this is what we saw Jesus doing, waking up in the early mornings, asking, seeking, knocking. What is he asking and seeking and knocking for? To seek God's kingdom. To seek his righteousness. And not only will you find it, but he will give you all that you need, Matthew 6.33. We see Jesus praying to the Lord of the harvest. And then when we pray to the Lord of the harvest in Matthew 9.38, do you know what God will do? He will answer that prayer. You know how he answers that prayer when you pray to him? When you ask him and you seek him and you find him? He says, you. You are my laborer who goes out into the harvest. He asks us to pray for unity in the church like Christ did in John 17. And you know what happens when we pray for this? He grants it. Look with me in John 17. Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Do you want a greater love and a greater knowledge of who Christ is and what he's done for you? Do you want that, church? Then we pray for it, Ephesians 3, 18 through 19, that we might have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses even our knowledge. Do you lack wisdom? Yes. Do you want wisdom? If any of you lack wisdom, James 1, 5, let him, say it with me, ask God. And what does he do? who gives generously to all without reproach, and it 
will. Not might, not maybe, it will be given to him. And notice, in every single one of these passages, including the one that we're looking up in Matthew 7, the receiving and the opening is not done by us, but it's done for us. Do you see that? You will receive. What's our stance? Passive. It will be open to you. What's our stance? Passive. You know what Jesus is saying? The only thing you need is need. And these promises are for you. The only thing you need is need. You know what our work to be is? Needy. Not a lot of amens. Not a lot of you guys like to feel needy in this room, do you? Your job is to be needy. God's job is to be needed because he is needed. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. He is the vine. We are the branches. And I love the different aspects that Jesus is wading through of asking, seeking, and knocking. It's almost as if he's showing us different rooms of our emotions. That sometimes when we ask, don't we feel like we're having a conversation with God right in front of us? That's some of us. Other times we feel as if we don't know where God is in our life. And Jesus says, seek. And what's the promise? You'll find him. Other times we feel as if there is this barrier between us and God. Anybody there this morning? Well, we have to knock. And what's the promise? God's not only on the other side. He'll open the door for you. Ask, seek, and knock for these good gifts. Because we have a good father. No matter how close you feel to God this morning, no matter how far he seems to be, whether you feel there is this chasm and this barrier between you, Jesus tells you to persistently ask like a child. Why? Because God is always accessible. God is always available for you. He's not like an earthly father who says to bug off. Finishing the game. Come back when the game's over. He's not like an earthly father. He says, give me a minute, and you're still waiting three hours later. No, our father is omnipresent, which means he is everywhere at all times. He is right here, right now, waiting for you to ask him, to seek him, to knock on his door. Because he's not like that wicked judge who just wants to open the door so you stop annoying him. He's a good father who says, come on in. Sit with me. I want to hear from you. I want to know you. I want to hear about your needs, and I don't even care that it's 3 a.m. in the morning. Even though we might treat others this way. We won't be annoyed by others. God is not annoyed with you. 
God doesn't exist just to put up with you. He wants to hear from you. And when he hears from you, he wants to care for you. Why? Because he is a good parent. This is our second point. Not that we are just have a childlike posture, but we get to go to a caring and good parent. Look, look at this image that Jesus gives us. He says, which one of you, so asking the people on the hill and the us here today, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? What is Jesus saying here? Why should we ask? Why should we seek? Why should we knock? Why should we be persistent? It's because God is not like us. He's not evil like us, but he's good, verse 10. Like Jesus did with the parable of the judge and God, Jesus is now doing with evil parents and the good parents. He's going from the lesser to greater. You who are evil or you who have evil parents, don't compare God to them. How much more will he give good gifts to you? Now, some of you in here right now might be thinking, finally, something I can agree with Jesus about. My parents are evil. Hold on, that's not exactly what Jesus is saying. It's kind of what he's saying. But do you remember who he's addressing? You, who are evil. Not them, who are evil. You, who are evil. What Jesus is, is getting after here is something theologians call inherent sin or original sin, or you might have heard of the term total depravity. That everything we do in thought, deed, word, or action is tainted with some level of evil and some level of sin. It's not just that we sin occasionally, but that we are sinful. And that everything we do is tainted with sin. Look at how the psalmist writes about this in Psalm 51. Indeed, I was guilty. Can you, can you read that with me? When I was born, I was sinful. This is, this is crazy. It's even while he was in the womb. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. And this is consistent with all the Bible's teaching. That we in here, even if you are in Christ, we prior to Christ were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Jesus is telling us that all of us, yes, your parents, but yes, you, even though you who are evil, even you who don't have kids in here, you know, you know to give good gifts to your kids, verse 9. With everything that's messed up inside of us, even you, he says, you know how to keep the dangerous things away from the kids and give them things that are good for them. See, like your parents, like me, if you are a parent, my parents are evil. And yet, they knew not to get 10-year-old Robert Patrick, me, 
and seven-year-old Gabriel Allen an ATV that year for Christmas. Why did they know not to get that for us? Because we weren't ready for it. You know what happened to me a couple years later when I finally got on an ATV? I broke my back and I broke my thumb. Laugh it all up. They knew what a good gift was for their kids, and even when they were evil. They didn't give me what I wanted. They got me what I needed. And Jesus says, even if you who are evil know how to do this, verse 9, how much more? You know how to give bread to nourish them and not and starve them and poison them. How much more, he says, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Do you see what the point is here? The point is not on the prayer. The point is on the one who we are praying to. Look at what Jonathan Pennington says in his commentary. The emphasis is not, however, on the skill or even the persistence of the seeker in prayer. But it's on the character and kindness of our Heavenly Father. The focus is not on you. The focus is on how good God is. If the focus was on us, we'd stop praying. But the focus is on how good our Father is to invite us to come to Him. Ask, seek, and knock. Now, does this mean that God will give us anything we ask for? Is that what Jesus is saying here? That God will give us anything we ask for? Let's, let's go to the most hyperbolic scenario. What if the kid does ask for a snake? Right? What if the child does ask for a stone? It still says the parents who are evil know how to do what? Give good, say it with me, gifts. How much more? Even if evil parents know how not to give evil things to their children, how much more does a good and perfect father know how to give good gifts? You know what's impossible for our good father to give to us? It's impossible for him to give us bad gifts. Impossible. Because it's outside of his character. Do you see what this means? And I want, I, want, I want eyes up here. I don't want you looking at your notes right now. I want you to listen. God will never give you something that is not for your good. God will never give you something that is not good for you. God will never withhold any good gift from you that he knows is good for you right now. Which means, if you don't have something that you believe is good right now, be it a better job, a better relationship, better degree, more of something, less of something, if you don't have what you believe to be good, then God doesn't believe it's good for you right now. The question isn't, is that true? The question is, do you believe it to be true? Do you hear me? God, your good father, will never give anything bad to you. 
which ultimately means there is no such thing as an unanswered prayer. That even when you pray for something you want and he doesn't give you that thing, it means that he's given you something better right now. He's given you a good gift right now. I've shared this quote before and I'll share it again because it's money. Tim Keller, if you don't know who he is, that means you haven't been coming here long enough. God, he says, being a good father, he gives us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knew. Or he gives us what we're after even though he won't give it like we ask. He's given you what you really need, not what you really want. And my question is, if this is what God the Father is like, and it is, then why don't we ask him more? Why don't we seek him more persistently? Why don't we bang on his door in the middle of the night? I, I think it's for this one singular reason that has a trail coming off of it. And it's for this reason. It's because we often find ourselves asking for things that God never promises to give us more frequently than the things that he does promise to give us. Do you hear me? We end up asking more frequently for things that he never promises to give us rather than the things that he has promised to give us. I mean, to those of you who are unmarried right now and you don't want to be unmarried, how often do you bang on the Father's door asking for a spouse that he has never promised to give you instead of asking for help to be content in the good gift that is singleness? Not my words, Scripture's words. Do you spend more time pleading for the thing that God has never promised to give you? Or for the thing he promises to give you? Contentment. Or do you only see work as good? Is work a good gift? Yes. But are you only seeking after your dream job that God never promised to give you? I say this because I love you. Instead of God to make you faithful to be who you are in Christ, where you are in Christ, regardless if you love your job or not. Or maybe you believe in a soft prosperity gospel where the prayer that you find yourself praying is get me out of this trial. Get me out of this hard situation. You pray for a suffering-free life that God never promises to give you. In fact, he promises a life of suffering for believers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Do you find yourself praying for things that are not promised, like a suffering-free life? Or do you find yourself praying for the thing that he does promise? For him to work out Christ-like character in you. He promises that in the midst of your suffering. You see, we tend to come to God like this, like a boss. That if we work hard enough, if we pray hard enough, then it's owed to us like a paycheck at the end of the week. 
And when we don't get our paycheck from God, we begin to believe that God is withholding good for us. Jesus, just at the end of Matthew chapter 6, tells us, do not be anxious. You know what anxiousness is, the root of anxiousness? This is, not, this is different from clinical anxiety. It's anxiety that Jesus talks about. is believing that God is behind in giving you a good gift. That's what anxiety is. But when he doesn't give it to you over and over again, you know what begins to creep up? Bitterness. If anxiety is believing that God is behind, bitterness is believing that God got it wrong. That he did not give you a good gift, he gave you a bad gift. Because you work so hard for it, which leads you to stop asking, stop seeking, and stop knocking. And when we stop asking, stop seeking, and stop knocking, you know what we begin to do? We begin to start working. We start working to say, I have to provide that for me. I have to give that for me. I have to find me. I have to open those doors for me. And when that begins to happen, when we hear passages like this, and when you hear me say, apart from Christ, you can do nothing, in your heart of hearts, you begin to say, no. I'm the one who's given to me. I'm the one who found me. I'm the one who opened up all these doors for me. God hasn't done jack for me. I'm the only good one here. We begin to believe that it's by works we receive good gifts. But let me ask you. Was it you who made you? Was it you who formed you in your mother's womb? Was it you who fed you when you could not feed yourself? Mamas, can I get an amen? Was it you who started that company that you got your first job at? Was it you who hired you? Was it you who printed the currency that paid your first bills out of that first paycheck you received? Was it you who created the college you got into, or the high school you may have graduated or did not graduate from? Was it you who built the apartment or house that you currently live in? See, when we think about all of the good gifts that God has put into our lives, we actually did very little, while God the Father did very much through other people. See, what this passage shows us is this. Frederick Bruner writes, the secret of prayer is not the disciples much. It is the fathers much more. It's in the fathers much more. This prayer takes the focus off you and puts the focus on God's much more. You see, I remember that Christmas morning. That Christmas morning where I was supposed to go down to the garage with my brother where we thought this ATV was going to be. We thought for sure it was going to be there. And it wasn't. But you know what 10-year-old Robert Patrick found underneath the Christmas tree that morning? A toolbox. A toolbox for a 10-year-old. You know what's happening to me in that moment? 
Why in the world would my parents get me a toolbox at 10 years old? I do not understand why this is my gift, let alone any good gift that a parent could give any child. But you know where that toolbox is today? It's sitting in my garage. Still being used as of yesterday. See, what I thought wasn't a good gift from my parents who are evil ended up being a good gift that is still used to this day. What you think might not be a good gift from your father, he's going to use in your life, not just today, but in the years to come. Listen to me. You not, might not understand why God hasn't given you what you've asked for. But this is what I'm confident in. He's given it to you for your good. Whether it's trials, suffering, job loss, miscarriages, death of a family member or friend, or even the ongoing lingering effects in our society and community of this political outrage, the pandemic, racism that still all exists. Why is this all going on? Why are all of these things going on right now? See, it's from there when you begin to ask God that question. When you begin to seek him out. When you begin to knock on his door, you'll be given this promise from Romans 8, 28. We know that all things, all things. I'm going to say it three times, not because I'm lost in my notes, because I want you to hear it. All things work together for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. Do you see that? All things work together for your good. That whatever's coming your way, he's working it out for a good gift. He's like a divine orchestral conductor, working out all good things. Like at the end of Genesis 50, where Jacob's brothers come to him, ask for him for forgiveness. And instead of destroying his brothers for selling him off into slavery, what does Jacob say, or Joseph say to his brothers? What you meant for evil, God meant for what? Good. He meant for good. Listen to me. God will take you through things you do not understand. God will even give you gifts that you do not understand in order to produce a greater trust in what you already do understand. That he works all things out for your good, Romans 8, 28. That suffering, trials, produces steadfastness in Christ, James 1, 1. And that even your trials produces perseverance, it's promised to you. Character, it's promised to you. And hope that will never put you to shame. It is promised to you, Romans 5. And how do we know? How do we know that God will even use all of the evil in the world for our good? Look at Christ. Look at Christ. He used all the evil in the world, laid all the evil on Jesus on the cross, not just for suffering's sake, but for the good of the world, so that the whole world can be sought out and saved in and through Jesus Christ. If our salvation was won through suffering, then our sanctification, the good gift of sanctification, will come about through suffering. If our forgiveness was won through suffering, then our forgiving of others is going to feel like a kind of suffering. If gifts that are given to us was won through Jesus' loss, then even good gifts in our life will feel as a loss 
for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? This is our God who gives us good gifts. Yes, good gifts like food on the table, a home to sleep in, jobs. Those are all good gifts, but he gives us a better gift. See, when Jesus was on the cross, do you remember what happened in the temple? Remember, the temple was the place where only the holy of holiest people, the priests, the great high priests, could go and gain access to God. What happened as Jesus was on that cross? The veil was torn, symbolizing that you have access, that God is available, God is present, and the way that he gives you the best present is by giving you his presence. Look what Luke says in Luke 11. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give you the, say it with me, Holy Spirit. Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask them. Do you know what this good gift is? This good present is God's presence. And how do we receive God's presence? It's because Jesus on the cross gave up his spirit so that we can have his spirit living inside of us. You see, I've said this multiple times that before this sermon is ever about us, it is first about Jesus. Amen? That before we ever ask God for anything, Jesus comes and asks for us. Do you know we have recorded words of Jesus asking for yours and yours and yours and my salvation in John 17. In John 17, he says, I don't only ask for my disciples who I see in front of me, but I ask for those who will hear this message through them. Do you see that before you ever asked God, Jesus asked for your salvation first. Before you ever ask to be forgiven, Jesus asks for your forgiveness first from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And do you see that before you ever sought God, Jesus sought you first? We were lost. You know what lost things can't do? Find themselves. But Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He got off of his throne, came down, became the suffering servant, the suffering king, so that we, we can have the greatest gift, his presence living inside of us. And we don't only get his presence, we are free from punishment. Most of the time we are fearful to go to God because we're fearful that we're still going to get punished when we go to him. But he's better than your earthly parents. And how do we know that we will not get punished? It's because Jesus, when he asked for that cup of wrath to be taken from him, it wasn't. All of God's anger, all of God's wrath was poured out on Jesus so that when you go to the Father in prayer, there's not punishment waiting for you, but his presence is waiting for you. Grace is waiting for you. Mercy is waiting for you. And before you ever decided to knock on God's door, you know what Revelation tells us? That Jesus is the one who first stood knocking on your door. And here he stands this morning, knocking on the door. And the question is, 
Will you open it? Will you open it to him? Will you ask him? Will you seek him? Will you knock back and say, I'm here? You know what he promises to do? Open that door wide to invite you into an eternal banquet that never ends. For those of you who are fearful of just singing in heaven, that's not what's going to only happen. We're going to be feasting with Jesus in heaven. Table full of food, feasting with wine and drink and much more. And if this is what Jesus has done for us, that he sought us out before we ever sought him, that he asked for our salvation before we ever asked him, that he came knocking on our door before we ever knocked on his. Oh, how much more then, how much more are we to ask of him? Let us, let us be a church that doesn't rest on our skill to pray, but rests on God's character to answer us regardless of how good we think we are at praying. Let us be a, a church that seeks God's kingdom and his righteousness because Jesus has sought us first. Let us be a church who knocks on the door of heaven for the salvation of our neighbors and the sanctification of our brothers and sisters because he came knocking first. And let us ask God. Let us ask God to do imaginably more than we've ever asked, dared, or imagined because he promises to do us. And we can groan to God, even when we have no words. You know what the promise is in Romans 8? That even in your groaning, the spirit of the living God makes sense of your prayers to the Father. That even when you're not able to groan, Abba, Father, the spirit groans on your behalf. It's easy to forget that we have this kind of father, isn't it? The kind of father that isn't annoyed with us, that isn't going to punish us when we come to him, but a father who wants to welcome us, 